Hey, this is Kevin, the student pastor at Short Church Again. Thanks for listening to our podcast. We strive each week to bring relevant, practical, biblical teaching that meets you where you are. To stay up to date with what's going on at the church or to support the mission financially, head over to scog.com or download our app. I hope you enjoy the message. We are starting a series this morning called The Vow. And we want to take uh, a close look at these promises we need to make in marriage. Now, uh, this series is primarily about marriage, but if you are married, this is perfect for you. If you're ever thinking about being married, this is perfect for you. Uh, and if you want to help your children or anyone you know through marriage, this is perfect for you. So I think we covered everybody, right? Um, That's just how it goes because marriage plays this huge, huge, huge uh, idea in our society and just how we think and how we organize our thoughts. It's always this specter uh, kind of around us somewhere. Um, Even for guys, they like to say they don't think about marriage that often. They do. Usually they're scared of it. Um, but, uh, not to the extent that girls do girls think about marriage. And since the time of six years old, they have the dress picked out what it should look like. They have, uh, what the flowers are going to look like the place. They may even already know who they want to perform the ceremony. Guys are like, uh, I mean, I grew up Christian and true love waits time period, right? Everyone had the silver little ring that was going to be replaced. Guys think I get married. I get to have sex. But we don't think about a dress. We don't think about a place. We don't think about anything else. That's the benefit. Um, just is what it is. Uh, uh, you know, that, that's, that's just how it goes. So um, we're going to get real in your business today. So get your laughter out now because you're going to be mad at me by the end of, because you just missed the joke. That was the one of the whole day and you missed it. So we're, we're going to get into your business today and you're not going to be like, Jared, you don't understand. I do. This is hard, and I want you to succeed. I want you to hear my heart today because I'm going to step on some toes, I think, um, and I want you to hear my heart that I do not want to see you go through a divorce. I don't want to walk with you through a divorce. I don't. Not fun. Okay? As the pastor's role, walking through somebody with through going through a divorce, not number one. Because there's guilt and there's shame and there's all this stuff and there's restoration. That's a beautiful part of the whole story, but it's not fun. And I'm pretty sure it's way more less fun for the person going through it. But I'm serious about this, the stuff that we're going to talk about today, because we want to invest in our marriages, invest in the way in which we're doing life so that we don't have to have divorce be a part of our, just our purview. I don't want a divorce to be part of my kid's purview. I don't want them to even think to know that that's an option in life. Right, But the fact of the matter is, um, there's all kinds of statistics about divorce rates and whatever. The popular one to quote is 50% of all marriages lead in divorce. Okay, That is kind of skewed because it, people that have already had divorce, and if they have another one, they, they, you're way more likely to have a second one. And so that's in those numbers. Out of all people, the numbers are around 36% uh, having a divorce. Still, crazy, crazy, crazy high. Out of trauma to children... They're losing a, a parent to death, losing a, a, a brother or sister to death, or your parents getting divorced are the three biggest trauma effectors of children. So it's on the schedule. It's on the scale. It's on the, we don't, I don't want to 
cause trauma to my child. Put it this way. If I knew that my kid had a 50% chance of getting attacked by a bear, I would do everything I possibly could to teach them how to shoot. I would, I would equip them. If a bear does this, this is what you, I would teach them everything I could. I would organize their day. And so they would minimize the risk to a bear attack. If I knew if my child was, had a 50% chance of getting in a car wreck on 55, they would never see 55. That is too high of a rate. That's too high of a trauma rate for my kids. I don't want to be there. Do you want to be there? We think about it in, in, in bear attack form. Maybe it kind of hits our heads because we don't think about it. We're like, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. But if I knew every day there's a 50% chance that my child could get mauled by a bear, you better believe it. I'm going to change my behavior. I don't live in Alaska. It's a good first step. <laughs> right? Okay, you got two jokes. Um, but you guys are going to like keep track today of the jokes. But I want to be incredibly just disciplined and how do I help my kids not be exposed to this trauma? How do I not expose myself to this trauma? Cause I don't want to be attacked by a bear either. I don't want to go through that. I don't want to have to deal with that. And so, uh, what we're going to talk about today, some of it might feel a little radical might go, I don't know if I agree with that. That's okay. I mean, you cannot agree with it. I, I think I'm right. Um, so we're going to talk about some vows, some promises. Uh, the vows, um, when I do premarital counseling, uh, everything goes pretty well. There's two, two or three hiccups usually. We talk about in-laws. It's usually a fun conversation. Um, we talk about finances. That's usually a fun conversation, right? You could tell how long people have been together or if they're sharing their finances already. Um, if you talk about budget, when I did, I did, um, Isaiah and Alexa's uh, premarital counseling. They were 20, 19 years old when they were getting married. They didn't have any money. So finances, that was, they're like, oh yeah, okay, Jared, we'll do whatever you tell us. They had no clue. I married some people who were uh, 30 year olds. They were like, whoa, whoa, whoa. What are you telling me about with my money? I'm already making money. Like, whoa, whoa. It was a totally different conversation. It was really funny. Very interesting. Um, pray for Alexa. She is a month uh, to her due date. She spent the night in the hospital Friday night. Um, just with some stuff with the baby, the baby and her are okay. Um, but be, that's where she was this morning. Uh, I said, you go ahead and take the weekend off. I think you earned it. You spend 24 hours in the hospital, you get the next day off. That's just a little rule I have. <laughs> I'm such a benevolent boss, right? Uh, so, um, so we, we just pray for Alexa, uh, and, and the baby, uh, as they get closer to that date. But as um, we deal with that, the other thing that causes people to have a panic look in their face, especially the guys, is when you bring up, have you guys written your vows? Right? Have you written your vows? Now, girls usually like, yeah, I've had them written since I was four. <laughs> you want me to show you the notebooks? Like I have them here and here and here and here and here and here and here. I just replaced the name. Uh... Um, guys are like, what was on that movie? I'll just use that one. That seemed to seem to go well. What did Nicholas Sparks write? I've never read one of his books, but we'll look through it here real quick. Um, and that goes, that goes to the way it is. And, um, so you get to these vows because there's so much emphasis put on these vows. There's so much emphasis put on that day. 
If you are engaged, thinking about getting engaged, thinking about being married, let me tell you a little secret. No one says this about the wedding. The wedding is one of the most traumatic events of a marriage. The wedding, having your first child, and the first uh, death of your first, uh, the first parent, whoever died. Those are the top three. Okay, and then divorce. But those are the three traumatic events of a marriage. Getting married is a traumatic event of marriage. Friends, this should not be. Okay, but uh, we put so much emphasis on that day. Here's the truth. Cold hard truth. No one remembers anything about their wedding. Nothing. You want to know why? Because you're just, you're overwhelmed. You've built up. I remember the stress of getting married. I remember where it was. My wife wore white. I remember more of it because it was videotaped. And every year for our anniversary, for several years, we would go back and watch our wedding on our day, um, on, our, on our anniversary. And that was nice. And then I was like, oh, that happened that day. Isn't that cool? I didn't know that. I didn't remember that person's toast. I didn't remember. Oh, that we had food. Huh. I didn't get any. Um, you, know, you remember those things. And then you go, oh, those were the vows. Because you revisit them later, not because of what happens in that moment. You think, oh, I'm going to do it perfectly. And it's going to be. And what usually happens is, Jared, you just write them for me. Okay. Google vows. Um, no. Uh, but I, I, do, I do. Usually you guys get to do my vows because that's how that, that works. But when we think about vows, they're, they're, they're so important to who we are. They're so important to these promises that we're making someone. But if you think about the silliness of that, of that day is, once we've set them from sickness to health, right, richer or poorer, and then whoop, we forget them after that day, and they don't have any uh, weight on who we are anymore. So we want to kind of address that in this series. It's going to be a four-week series, and we're going to talk about different promises that we really need to make, not the ones that are in the vows uh, that we make, but serious promises that will change who we are in marriage, okay? Um, this is heavily... Uh, heavily borrowed from uh, my works cited page today would read uh, the Bible, the Holy Spirit, and Craig Rochelle's book uh, from this day forward. Now, I taught a life group from uh, this book last semester. It's a fantastic, fantastic resource. If you'd like to do it as a couple, uh, no, none of the life groups are doing it uh, this semester because we're doing the series. Uh, but if you'd like to do it as a, a couple, you're like, Jared, I'd really like to watch that DVD or whatever. Uh, talk to me. We can hook you up with the, uh, the video of that. We own it, own the curriculum here at the church. But I just want to be transparent with you. If you ever go through that, that stuff, you're like, huh, Pastor Craig sure sounds a lot like Jared. That's because I stole some of this, okay? I'll be completely honest because I want, I'm not a marriage expert. I have a pretty good marriage, but I don't have it all figured out. You get it all figured out? I need help, okay? So I want to impart that wisdom with you as well and also be transparent as well. Um, Here's the vows. Here are the vows. The first one that we're going to talk about today is the vow of priority. The vow of priority. The second vow is the vow of pursuit, I will pursue you. The vow of pursuit. The third vow is the vow of partnership. The vow of partnership. And the final vow is the vow of purity. The vow of purity. Those are the four. You got the game plan for the next couple weeks. But today we're going to talk about the vow of priority. Now I want to talk to you about Disney. Disney has sold us a load of garbage when it comes to relationships. 
Okay. They have, they've sold us like, oh, there's going to be this person. It's like the Jerry Maguire syndrome. You complete me. That is bull. That's not the way this works. If we continue to look for people who complete us, we are destined to fail in relationships destined to fail. You were setting yourself up for failure. I remember when we were uh, dating and I was like, I don't know. I know this is hard for you to believe because you know my wife, but I was like, there's some things. She was really quiet. She never would speak. I know, right? Her leading women's ministry. You're like, what? That lady? Uh, no, no, no. She just would not talk. She wouldn't lead like that. It was, it was different. Um, and I was like, I don't know if, if this is going to work. I just don't know. I had, I had doubts. There's like a 5% doubt. She was 95% perfect for me. That 5%, I was like, she doesn't completely perfect. She's not the total yin to my yang or whatever that is. She's not absolutely perfect. I don't know. I'm going to have to call this off. I started thinking about it. I started talking to my mentor about it. He's like, you're stupid. You know, no one completes you. The only person that fills that hole, the only thing that fills that hole, that, that thing that you're pursuing in life, like, oh, if I do this well enough in this sport, this job, or with this uh, person, that will make me feel full and complete. That is God's place. And actually, he jealously guards that place. He is a jealous God, and he says, no, that's my spot. Everybody else out. Because the vow of priority is God is your number one, and your spouse is your number two. Three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, a whole nother different story. But the vow of priority is God is your number one. Your spouse is your number two. And some of us have that flipped. Some of us have something totally else in number one. And it messes us up. When we get this twisted, we mess up our lives. God's your number one. Your spouse is your number two. This is incredibly, incredibly important order. It's a difficult order. But when we flip them, we cause all kinds of problems. When we flip them, we say, oh, we, we are setting our spouse up for failure when we put them on the pedestal, the Disney pedestal to say, you are the one that completes me. You are the one I'm looking for. You've got every, you ch- we're house hunting for, we're like on an episode of house hunters for our, our mate. They checked out ticked all the boxes. They checked all the boxes. They did this. They did this. They did this. They did this. No, 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 no. Then you're going to get in there and figure out the sump pump breaks every five seconds. Hopefully as a person, your sump pump doesn't break. That would be awkward. But we get to, we go to it and we, we, as we, we live with someone and we understand who they are, we've been married a few years. We're like, wow, that's really annoying. (laughs) We got those things, right? Like, oh, uh, who taught them how to chew? Right, <laughs> I got someone to spit out their coffee. Hurrah! It's very spiritual. Um, it's a gold mine for life. Um, right? You, you have these issues. You have these things that you're just like, oh. <laughs> yes. That's that's funny. Um. <laughs> I got too excited. I lost myself. Um, when you do this, you, you have a, you have a serious problem. And when you make your, your spouse, number one, um, you actually lead to a, a phenomenon. You idolize them when you're dating, right? You, Oh, they're great. Maybe you do this. He's so laid back and easygoing married seven years. He's so lazy and he never does anything. <laughs> oh, she's so driven and detail oriented. 
married seven years. She flies around on a broom. <laughs> right? You idolize to demonize. That's, this is reality. This is what happens. Because what, what, what causes that is when we say, thereby they do everything, we put them under a microscope that they don't deserve. They're fallen humans that are trying to do the best they possibly can at this time. God is our number one. They can never fill that hole. I can feel it sometimes when I put Kelly in the number one spot. When I put my wife in number one spot, things get out of alignment. Things start wobbling weird. Things, I get jealous and mad about things I have no business getting jealous and mad about. I all of a sudden turn back into 17-year-old Jared that's like trying to control her. Why am I trying to control her? Because I've made her my number one, my everything. That's not fair. That's not her role. Because what that breeds is a weird resentment by putting them on a pedestal too high. You start to resent them in a very dysfunctional way. Making God our number one and our spouse our number two. Genesis two twenty four says that, that this is why a man leaves his father and mother and is united to his wife and they become one flesh. The word, the Hebrew word for leaves is as Azab to loosen, loosen, to loosen, to loosen or relinquish. Basically to be, to cut, to, to pry away. Some of us in some marriages have this, this problem where we never really were pried away from our parents house. And that causes some dysfunction. Our, the parents should be third, fourth, fifth on this list. And they're still number two. And there's this weird, awkward tension. Whose say has more, there's more uh, pull in the relationship. Well, my mom said this. Yes, but I'm your husband. So my mom said this. Yeah, but what does God say? That should be your number one. My dad did this. To loosen, to, to, to break apart, to relinquish control so they can become one. We have to be so intentional about protecting this order that God's number one and our spouse is number two. When you first get married um, or in our dating, your spouse is your priority, right? You're waiting. What did they, what did they say today? What did they do this? Oh, what can we go do tonight? You go into debt. Well, Kelly and I did on our day. We went out all every night was date night. Let's go here. Let's go do this. Let's go do that. We both had full-time jobs. This is one of the only times in our marriage that we both had full-time jobs. We should have been having money. We were running up credit card debt like nobody's business. We literally were eating all of our savings. But we loved each other. And then we had children. (laughs) Not only did mine came in pair. I had twins. So instead of one parasite sucking the life out of our marriage, I had two and they are parasites by definition. They depend on someone else for life sustenance. They are a parasite. Okay. You got more than two jokes today. Okay. But that is real. That is real. And I want to tell you about this. We can laugh about it because it's going to get hurt, painful here in a second. Those little babies start to suck the life out of your marriage. They depend on the mom for everything. And all of a sudden, dad goes, I'm not important here. 
I don't know what I'm doing. Guys, we don't know what we're doing with babies. The world tells your wife that men are idiots when it comes to babies. You watch any TV show, don't let dad hold the baby, he'll drop it. I'm good with babies. I'm really good with babies. I, I can double barrel babies. Like, you feed two at a time while walking, woo, you got skills. But I had to learn all that. I was scared to death. I'm going to drop one of these things. I'm going to break it. They bounce. It's okay. Um, (laughs) But as you hold that baby, you learn so much about yourself. You connect as a dad. And so many times we like women in our life, they, 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 they have the baby and it depends on you. And and all of a sudden there becomes this, this shifting of priorities where that baby becomes number two. Then maybe that baby becomes number one. We've pushed God out and we've pushed our spouse away. The baby even invades our bed. The baby takes all of our time. The baby takes all of our energy. And we start eroding the foundations of our marriages. That's what women do in that men. They go, I don't know what I'm doing. So I'm going to do control whatever I can try to control. I'm going to go work harder. I'm going to go do this better. I'm going to fix the house. I'm going to get a, a, you take three jobs because I got to provide. I can't, I don't know what, what to do with my hands when I'm holding the baby, but I'll, I'll do something else. And all of a sudden, a bunch of good things, caring for the child is a good thing. Loving the child is a good thing. Working extra hard so you can provide a future for the child is a good thing. But all those good things add up to a really, really, really bunch of bad things because no one wakes up in the morning going, you know what? I'm going to have an affair today. You know what I'd like? I'd like a drinking habit today. No one, no one does that. That doesn't just oh, happen. What happens is that is a result of a bunch of good decisions that all of a sudden start to lead to a bad decision and bad choices because we haven't made the best choice at the, on, the first, on the front end. We keep the priorities. God is number one. Our spouse is number two. The child is number three. And we get that flipped and get that twisted all the time. We have to to protect the priorities. We have to protect the priorities. But Jared, you don't understand. You're right. I don't know your situation. I don't know what's going on. I don't know the depth of the issues that you've got. I just know this. God hates divorce. I know I hate divorce. I know I hate loveless marriages. I hate that kids have to grow up in that mess. I hate that you're going through the pain. I hate that you don't know how to handle what's going on at home. I hate that you've got those issues in your life. And because of that, there are some hard, difficult choices that have to be started to be made. We have to protect the priorities. We have to fight for them. We have to make difficult choices. To protect the priorities, you are inviting arguments into your marriage. If you start to realign your, how your life works, that God is number one and your spouse is number two and your kids are number three or four or wherever that they are on that schedule at this time, you are inviting arguments into your marriage. I will go ahead and tell to, that Satan does not want you to get your priorities right. Right? Your selfishness does not want you to get your priorities right. But I like my hobbies. I like what I do. I like making money. I like working hard. I like my kids. 
I like my Sunday mornings to sleep in. I like blah, blah, blah. I like blah, blah, blah. I understand that you're inviting an argument. You're inviting a fight, but it's a fight you have to win. Protect the priorities. Children are important. They are. I love my kids, but they're not as important as marriage. Children are a temporary assignment. Hopefully you only get them for 18 years. Some of you are working a little longer than that. But uh, children are important, but not as important as marriage. Children are a temporary assignment. Marriage is a lifetime commitment. Now, I know you'll always be their parent and all that stuff, but they hopefully won't be living with you the whole time. And they need to cleave or leave or azob to someone else, to become one with someone else. Not to dad, not to mom, not to stay there, but they need to go. Children are a temporary assignment. Marriage is a lifetime commitment. You've got to get that right. If you want your children to succeed in marriage, you have to model a successful marriage. I now have my second daughter. She turned two last Sunday. She's a strong willed feisty little girl. I'm already praying for her future husband. She's awesome. She's amazing. She is so smart and so funny. She's already got emotional intelligence out of this world. Kelly will come home from a stressful day at work and she just comes up to better and just pats her on the back. It's the most adorable little thing. He was like, oh, whatever you want. A cookie? Okay, fine. But I already have to be intentional to say, how am I going to love my wife so she knows what kind of man she's supposed to look for? Because I'm modeling that. Honey, if they don't stand up to this, to this standard, then you say no. And so what do I have to do? I have to model God's number one. The spout, my wife is number two. And she's going to be number three. Always. I have to model this because I want her to be successful. I want her to understand how this works. I don't want her to be in the 50% that falls in the divorce rate. There's a bear out there and it's trying to eat them. And I got to do everything in my power to protect them. Children are a temporary assignment. Marriage is a lifetime commitment. Got a second thing. Kids are a huge intimacy killer. They're a huge, huge marriage killer. They are parasites. I get that. We make fun of it. But we've got to be very, 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 very intentional about protecting, about loving our kids well and setting that priority in our marriage. There's a, there's a weird second one that will mess with your marriage as well. It's, you, everyone's got it in their pocket probably right now. You might even have it in their hand. It's your phone. I got a, I got a newsflash for you. Did you know that there's this thing called an alarm clock? Jared, I have to have my phone in my bedroom because it wakes me up. You know what else will wake you up? An alarm clock. It worked for about 100 years before, uh, before phones were invented. Because the phone, we, we shut the door like, ah, privacy. I can keep my kids out. Click. Ah, I don't care if you kill yourselves out there. Uh, and we, we, we get to go to bed and then we get our phones out. And we're communicating that whatever game, whatever's on Facebook, whatever person we're on talking to on here, whatever our calendar is, whatever our to-do list is that we're checking on our phone is more important than our spouse. Man, nothing, 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 absolutely nothing is as sexy as this. <laughs> Woo! 
Get your, get your motor running. Right? Throw your phone away. Like, leave it downstairs. It's fine. It can wait. I promise. I got this wonderful thing. I'm only halfway there. I'm not perfect on this one, guys. I'm only halfway there. But I have a, a bedtime alarm on my phone, and it shuts everything down. Like, everything goes to sleep. It doesn't ring anymore. I don't get any more emails. I don't get any more texts. Anything after a certain time of day. Sorry. I didn't see it. I get it. They all come in at 8 o'clock in the morning. But they shut down. For, and so I don't have that stuff going on. I need to leave it downstairs. Because there's just this thing where we keep on inviting, we inviting others into our most intimate spaces. And if we're going to make our number one, our number one, and we're going to make our number two, our number two, we can't keep inviting four, five, and six into the party. Does this make sense? I don't want to be legalistic about it. I used to say, hey, everybody, take your TVs out of your bedroom. We had a TV in our bedroom for the last year. We watched it once. We both threw our necks out trying to watch it from bed. We got the TV out of the bedroom. This is really, really easy. But get the bed, your TVs out of your bedroom because you're inviting distractions out of it. It just is what it is. How do we set the priority tones? How do we set who what's important? Quit inviting things that don't even belong there into our bedrooms. We have to be willing to fight for each other, not each other. See, I got intimacy color right there. Go away. Um, we've got to be willing to fight for each other, not each other. Husbands, Love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. Ephesians 5, 25. It is a call of action to fight for each other. Man, this is a call to you. You're supposed to lay everything out for your wife. Willing to sacrifice your life for your wife. This is what this means. I used to quote Second Timothy all the time when I was a punk 16-year-old. It said, uh, women should submit and be silent to their husbands, basically. Now, the next verse is... <laughs> but men, you should love your wives as Christ loved the church. So you got to die for them. Okay. So chauvinist Jared needed a slap in the, in the face. I've repented from this. I want you to know I'm getting ready to go to my 20th high school reunion. I got some serious people. I need to apologize to I'm just going to be honest with you. Like I am not that guy anymore. Husbands love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. We have to be willing to fight for this. We've got to be willing to have the arguments. We've got to be willing to bring our wives up before God and say, God, I love this woman, but help me love you more so I can love her better. How do I do that? Show me a way. We've got to change our priorities. We've got to get in prayer. We've got to get in church. We need to get in life groups. We need to get in the word. We've got to dive into this relationship with God because everything else will flow out of that. The closer that we draw to God, the better our relationships will be. The better our, our spousal relationship will be and the better our parenting will be. The closer we draw to God, the more he will shape our heart to be able to get past all the selfish stuff that gets in the way. I promise God will be my first priority and my spouse will be my second. This is the vow we need to make today. I promise that God will be my first priority and my spouse will be my second. Some of you are thinking back on your life and going, man, I got that out of order. It is what it is. 
It's not a day of regret. It's a day of I'm going to do it different from now on. Maybe your second isn't your spouse right now because you're not married right now. But your number one still needs to be God. Not your job. Not your hobbies. Not the cubs. Number one is God. And pressing into that because that hole, that, that feel, that, that thing that we have in our life that always is crying out for more attention. God is a jealous God and he wants that place of priority in our life. He said, that's for me because I love you. If you look at the guys in the Old Testament uh, over and over and over and over again, there's, there's, there's guys that, that get this messed up. There's kings that get this messed up and all kinds of terrible stuff happened to them. And the simple fact of the matter is, why lives are ruined and why countries are ruined is because men and women decided to make something else their number one besides God. And we have to make God our number one, our spouse our number two, and let the other stuff sort it out. So this morning, I'm asking you to make this vow with me that I promise that God will be my first priority and my spouse will be my second. Kelly and I have to revisit our priorities about once a quarter. Um, we don't have it on. There's not a business meeting, a family business meeting scheduled on the calendar. I promise you that would not surprise you if it was there from Kelly. I understand, but that's, that's, this is how we, we just kind of do life. We start to feel it. You start to feel it wobble. Like, uh, we need something, something needs, we haven't been on a date in three months. We haven't, you know, had a conversation in uh, in a week. Uh, one time I was like, you know, I don't think we've kissed in like three weeks. And it was like, that caused an argument, by the way. But uh, I was like, didn't mean for it to. It just kind of blurted out. Of my, I was like, wow, life has gotten a little out of whack. We need to revisit these priorities. Who's number one? Who's number two? Who's number three? I'll confess to you, I made my job my number one. I thought because I was a pastor... I was automatically loving God, except I realized there had been about three months there that I did not read the scripture other than to prepare a message. Like it was just, okay, go. It wasn't anything to feed my soul, anything to feed my heart, anything to deepen my relationship with God. And I made, and I was wondering why I was feeling the way I was feeling. Why was I, was I struggling so much? It's because I made who I was as pastor number one, not my spouse, not my kids. It was pastor number one, but God was kind of drifting off in the priority list. Earth-shaking for me. Ch- changed my, who, my understanding of who I am. Changed my anxiety level <laughs> a whole lot. When God became number one again. My spouse, too. Kids, three. Folks, I want you to experience the freedom of having your priorities right. So this morning, I want you to pray with me that you would agree in prayer and in this vow, and in this promise. Band, come on up. God, I ask you to be with us and guide us. Lord, I ask you, we're asking you to take some hard looks at our marriages. To take a, maybe a foundational shift in how we've structured our life, how we've done our priorities, how we spend our time, what we say yes to and what we say no to, that we would change the way in which we live so that we can fall in line with you being our number one, our spouse being our number two, and everything else following suit. God, today would be a day in which we shift our marriage. God, I ask you for the strength and the courage to make these choices that they're knowing full well that there are brick walls we're going to have to run into, 
knowing full well that there's arguments we're going to have to happen, knowing full well that we need to pierce some of this baggage and, and, and throw it away that we've been carrying around too long. But God, we need you to be our number one. And we need our spouses to be number two. If we are truly to love the Lord our God with all of our heart and our soul and strength and mind, you need to be our number one in life. And so God, in this moment, in this time, we submit our hearts and our souls to you and say, Lord, take us fully. We want to reorganize our life around you. In Jesus' holy and powerful name I pray. Amen. Thanks for joining us at church this week. I hope you enjoyed this week's teaching. If you have any questions or comments, shoot an email to office at scog.com. To continue to support our mission to reach, grow, and serve our community for Christ, you can give online at scog.com or through the app. See you next week.